Uh, God, we want to thank you for your love and your grace for us. And um, yeah, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for the, the expectancy that we can have because you are a great God and you love us. And you want good things for us, even in the midst of the trials and the tribulation. You want our hearts to be put together, whole. So thanks for doing that, God. And I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, it's been uh, 2000, no, yeah, 2011, we came here to this building and this is the first Sunday it has rained during the church service because I can hear it. And sometimes when it really rains, um, you come in here and like, man, I'm glad it's not church today. Um, so I don't know why I said that, but I just thought it was very strange. Okay, so last week we kind of went through this whole idea. We were looking at evidence or the bar or verification or, or whatever you wanted to call it of, of a Jesus follower. And what we said was there are certain evidences to a person's life who is following Jesus. And, and that's just the way it is. It's not that we're trying to earn something or we're not trying to uh, perform our way into God's good grace or into God's love. But because the Holy Spirit is within us, because He is working within us, we are in this constant um, place of being transformed. And that inward transformation begins to manifest itself on the outside. And so we begin to live in certain harmonies and certain rhythms that, that coincide with who God is and, and the glory of God and the glory of his kingdom. And so we, we kind of said, okay, you know, a lot of people have different type, you know, what's the, the ultimate evidence of a Jesus follower. We kind of listed a few, and, and I, I said, you know, I, I don't think that's it. I don't think it's theology. I don't think it's morality. I don't think it's some spiritual experience. What I, what I presented to you was that, like, the ultimate uh, evidence of, of the transformation of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is, how are we living in this world right now? Do we live with, in, in a place of hope and victory because we know who God is? Or do we live from a place of fear and defeat because the world is a darkening place? And so we sa I said, I said, you know, if there's a list of the top three evidences of, a, of the transformation of a person into, uh, into the sun, into the likeness of Jesus, I put that one on the top. The how we live in the context of difficulty. And one of the things we established last week was that this idea of church, and remember we're in a series of church, you know, what is church? Not just necessarily here, but, but the capital C, global church. And we said that church is not buildings, church is not denominations, church is not how we govern ourselves, church is not how we are, are singing, how church is, is people. We are church. I'm not just the church. We are church. It's, it goes beyond anything that we could physically look at because of the spirit that's inside us. We are now part of this family. We are now the church. And if we had come up with evidences of what it means to be a Jesus follower, then I believe we can ask the question, what is church? We can come up with, we can find, we could see an evidence of what is this thing that we call church? This, this gathering group of people. Now, 
Anytime you ask questions in the context of faith and the context of Christ and God, we have to go to, we have to make sure that we go to the proper source to answer those questions. Now, when it comes to church, uh, the, the proper source isn't all of those books that have been written on how to grow a church, what should church should look like, the organic church, the reformed church, the whatever church or Excuse me, we're not going to go to the flavorofthemonth.org and try to figure out what, what you know, popular churches are doing right now. In order to define church, we have to go to the book. We have to go to the Bible. We have to see what God calls the church, how he defines it. Now, if we look in the Bible, especially New Testament, all the letters that are written, not all, many of the letters that are written, these things we call the epistles, they are written to this gathered ragamuffin clan of people, Jesus followers, called the church. And they are addressing many times things that that are kind of going wrong, problems that are taking place within the church. Go figure, huh? And, and so and the writers are just kind of addressing these things. And I'm going to say that the reason why there are problems in the church back then and even now is because we have lost our way. We have forgotten. We have been distracted to the simplicity and the depth of the answer of what is the church. What is the church? Think of, think of Paul's writings. Let's just say 1 Corinthians. He is addressing all kinds of broken things that are going on within that community. People are, people are, are, are taking sides. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. These, these people within this context of, of Jesus followers, they are now trying to say, I follow this guy. No, I follow this guy instead of following Jesus. And so there's this division that begins to take place. Paul has to deal with incest. Paul has to deal with people arguing in church. Imagine that, people arguing in church. I'm so glad it's so much different today, and we don't have that problem. But back then, they were arguing so much that they were taking each other to courts. And Paul's like, like, for real? You're going to go to courts? He deals with spiritual gifts. I guess some people had really cool spiritual gifts. And then some people didn't have such cool spiritual gifts. And some people that, the people that didn't have the cool ones were jealous of the people that had the really, really good ones because the people that had the really cool ones, they were, they were boasting that, look at me, I can do all these cool things and you have the gift of hospitality. I'm not saying that's a, I'm, that's a joke, please. No emails. And so he had, there's this contention and there's this division in the church. And I really believe that all of this can be found, it's the beginning of this is because people have lost their way to what God has, has called the church to be, how God has called the church to function. How we answer that question, what is church, is very important. The body cannot be divided and live. The body of Christ cannot be divided and live. If you, if you cut my hands off and threw them over there and cut my arms off and then threw them over there and cut my legs off, you threw them over there. Unlike the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz, I would die. And so a body that's been divided cannot live. The body of Christ divided cannot live. And Paul addresses those, these, these letters in the Bible address the problems we see in church because people have lost their way. And so the question remains, what is the church? 
lot of books have been written on it. You can go in my office, and, and, and I've read a lot of them. And it's all about church. But I think one of the things that, that I see is we cannot begin to, divide, to define church or even fix the church using the standard that we have today. Like, like we can't say, okay, let's, let's take what we're doing today, let's throw out the bad stuff that, or the stuff that doesn't seem to be working, then let's kind of bring in some stuff from other churches that seem to be getting it right because they're growing and we're not growing and, and whatever, whatever um, argument you want to use. And then if we kind of just kind of ball all this together, then we can say now we're the church. Or maybe, maybe we'll go, okay, let's, let's look at the denominations throughout the years and the traditions. And let's, like, let's take some of their traditions and some of their traditions and bring in a few of those. And we'll throw out the ones that don't seem to be working and we'll, we'll just kind of scramble all these traditions together and then say, ha-ha, we, now we have church. Now this is what church looks like. The problem with that is we start to get um, into a mode of saying that we're better than others because we're doing this or we're not doing that. We're, we're going to aggravate someone somewhere along the line. And maybe, maybe that's the way churches operate now. Some churches will operate. We want to aggravate the least amount of people because we know that if we're going to do something, we're going to aggravate somebody some of the time. And so if we can just aggravate the least amount of people, then now, now, we, now we're doing church. We can't begin with what we're doing now. We have to go to the source. We have to go to the beginning. We have to go to the Word of God. Because this thing we call church is God's thing. It's, it's God's deal. It's, it's not mine. It's not the pastor over there. It's not the pastor down the street. It's, it, it's God's. You don't belong to this church. You belong to God. And we are graced and blessed that you choose to, to attend here. But you're not my people belong to God. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a very common scripture uh, set of verses, five verses today out of the book of Acts. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you, you've heard these verses. They're, they're, they're nothing new. They're nothing rocket scientist-esque. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of bounce around in them and through them, and we're going to talk about some things. We're going to leave some other things alone. But I think it's worth reciting. I, I, think, I think these five verses are worth reminding ourselves at the beginning of 2015 what God has to say about the church. And so, Will, if you would put that up there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is the definition of church. And maybe in our culture, in our time, we have kind of gotten away from this very simple, complete definition of church. This is not what somebody has come up with in some church growth book, in some church program book. This is God's definition. If we want evidence of what church is, this is, this is the evidence. This is what it's always been meant to be, and we should never change from this, from this this 
this lattice, this structure, this foundation. This is what God has called the church to be. If you look at revival, and if you look at revival throughout history, whether it be revival of a single church, a single community, whether it be local, whether it be regional, global, I I don't care. Revival is, it always has been this group of ragamuffin Jesus followers, the church, getting back to this. This is revival. This is what matters. This is what makes the difference in all of its simplicity and yet in all of its depth. People getting back to the basics. And so it's not about the kind of music we play. It's not about how we dress. It's not about whatever denomination we belong to or what we don't belong to. It's about people living together. It's about people doing life together within the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, living into these rhythms, living into these harmonies. You see, you see, this is unique. This is very different from anything, any group or any gathering of people ever anywhere else in the world. There's something alive about that. There's something sacred and holy about it. No other group or gathering can match what takes place here because God is doing something here. The Holy Spirit is doing something here in this. This is the only way we can get to that, by the Spirit working in us and around us and through us. And so we gather. Why do we gather? I mean, what what causes us to gather here or there or in any church? It's because we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. We are being changed. Remember the story in Acts. Jesus goes off to be with the Father. His, his ministry on earth is done. And the, the folks are sitting up in the upper room and they're, they're kind of bummed out. But, you know, Jesus is gone. And Jesus says, you know, just chill out here, wait a little while. And then the Spirit descends upon them and appears on them like, like with tongues of fire on top of their heads. And then it says, the story says that they began to speak in different tongues. And people were like, what is going on here? People came to see this this group that that something is different, something is unique, something's going on. And they they come out to see them and to check it out. And they think they're drunk. They're like, ah, they're just they're 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 drunk. And then Peter, who has been who's been has received the Holy Spirit, being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, he stands up and he preaches a very powerful message that day. He preaches the gospel. And all of a sudden, people, people who hear it, they, something begins to happen in them. Something begins to change in them. Something begins to transform in them. And then what we see is the birth of church. The church. The shared gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit is what births the church. Do you see how simple? Do you see how yet deep the story says in Acts that these people, they, they, they heard this, this message and they were cut to their hearts. Like, like something, something was taking shape. Something was beginning to change them. This message spoken by the, in the power of the Holy Spirit and they were cut to their heart. See, church is composed of men and women who... Who become very aware of their sin 
to become very aware that, that there's, there's something in them that's causing them to live outside of the, of, the, of the rhythm and the harmony that God has called us to. And we've been convicted by it. And this is not about living just some sinless life. We, we know we can't live sinlessly. If we say that we're at, without sin, we make God out to be a liar. But this is about realizing and recognizing that, that we are broken. We become aware of that brokenness. And these people, when they, when they heard Peter's sermon, they became aware of their brokenness. They came face to face with themselves. And they're like, Pete, what do we do now? What, 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 where do we go from here? God is dealing with them. And, and they're just like, what happens next? What do we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. The church was born from a place of repentance. The church was born from a place of, of people being transformed by the power of the Spirit. They were being transformed into the gospel. They were being transformed into the church. And what did the transformation begin to look like? How did it take shape? Well, here. They, they, they met together all of the time. They hung out together all of the time. They liked being together. And they, they were one accord, not just physically, but with, with heart and soul and minds. This gathering of people didn't happen just once a week. It didn't happen just uh, on special occasions on Easter or, or Christmas or, or when somebody got sick. It wasn't just they got together once in a while for worship. They were together all of the time. They did life together. And, and, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You want church growth? You don't have to read a big book on church growth. All we need is five verses out of the, out of the book of Acts. All we need is five verses out of God's word. That's church growth 101, 201, 301, 401, and a doctorate advanced. There it is. It's that simple. The problem with these people wasn't getting them together. The problem with these people, you couldn't get them to go home. And they gathered with purpose. They gathered with an agenda. They gathered for a reason. And we see that in verse 42. That they would devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread to prayer, they devoted, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I'm going to make a claim here because um, I've dealt with the word of God for a long time now. And nothing is happenstance in God's word. Nothing is just kind of thrown in there. And I'm going to say that this list, the way it kind of flows in verse 42, is there for a very good reason, for, for maybe we can say for a God reason. Because the first thing it says that they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. Now, we don't have the apostles walking with us today. They did. We don't. But we have the apostles' teaching. Here it is. This is the apostles' teaching. New Testament we have their thoughts, we have their theologies, we have their ideas, we have their hearts spilled out in these pages. We have the teaching. And everything that we do as a people, individually, and as a gathered group, everything, whether it be church, communion, prayer, fellowship, hanging out, everything, the, the scripture has to be the foundation, the core of everything that we do. 
and that we would devote ourselves, both gathered and scattered, to the Scripture, to what it says in here. Because without the Bible, everything that we do, not only as we come together, but in our individual lives, can very easily, very quickly go really wrong. And we can get off on some crazy tangents, some, some weird roads. See, the church began by the power of the Holy Spirit transforming people. The spirit of truth, so the apostles' teachings tells us, that the spirit of truth reveals Jesus to us, teaches us about Christ. It, it unpacks and, and, and expounds upon and allows us to grow deeper in, in these words. These are words on a page until the Spirit makes them alive in our soul. And that's the Spirit of truth. That's why we need, we need this teaching. Would we devote ourselves to this teaching? Not that we can just regurgitate chapter and verse, but would we, would we allow it to, to marinate in our soul? Will we allow it to, to speak to us? If we want God's truth to be at the center of what we do, if we want the truthful revelation of who he is, then we find it here. We find it in these texts. We find it in this, this, this sacred literature. And when we begin to understand that and devote ourselves to that, we can start to call ourselves church. This is an evidence of the gathered group of people that follow Jesus. And are we devoted to it? Not only here as we gather, but in our personal lives. You know, the world is difficult. We've been talking about that a lot lately. And the one true hope, the one true light in this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one true hope and the one true light in this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I truly believe that the mouthpiece for the gospel is us. We, church, we are the mouthpiece. And are we willing to devote ourselves to Scripture, to live in it, and to allow it to shine out from us? It's a worthwhile question to ask. The early church had a hunger to know God. They had a hunger for that teaching. They wanted, they wanted to know more that, that, that God's word was their food. It was their, their sustenance. Why? Because this continually points us to Jesus. This continually points us to who he is, who we are in him. This is not basic instructions before leaving earth. No, that's, I, I hate that acronym. This is the revelation of who God is, who Jesus is. And it all points to Christ. That's why we need to hunger for it so that we can walk deeper in intimacy with him. Peter would write in one of his letters that, that the word of God is our pure spiritual milk that helps us grow in our salvation. You know, and what I see, more and more people who call themselves followers of Jesus spend less and less time in the scripture. We have a lot of excuses. You know, we're too busy, we're too tired, too distracted, too lazy. I mean, American Idol did start, so we, we got that two nights a week. It's not funny. I love American Idol. But throughout the centuries, people have died rather than engage the Word of God, than stop 
engaging the word of God. People have given their lives for, for the book that we have. Churches have had to go underground, had to hide, meet in caves. People faced arrest. People faced death. People are facing arrest. People are facing death today just because they possess this, this book, the living word of God. How are we doing? Are we devoting ourselves to this? Do we have that hunger and that thirst for God's word? Is that true of us? Would we devote ourselves to the scripture? Not just reading it, not just memorizing it, but living it, allowing it to transform us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. <laughs> Remember in First John, when we were going through that book, we said that we know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brothers and the sisters. We know that the Holy Spirit is transforming us on the inside. Why? Because we love the brothers and the sisters. We share this life together. We should be doing life together. We are a family. That's what church looks like. We have a lot of things in common. We have big, sacred things in common. Like we all, we all know that we, we realize that we are all sinners in need of God's grace. That we are all sinners and we need God's mercy. We are all sinners and we need God's Savior. And we share the fact that God has given us his Savior, his Son, his one and only Son. We share that. We share the same hope of glory. We share the fact that we have been transformed and God isn't finished with us yet. And he continues to transform us more and more and more when we're surrendering our lives, when we're devoting our lives to that surrender to him. The early church, they loved each other. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Does anybody have a Harley Davidson they want to have in common with me? They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. They loved each other. Verse 42, it says that, again, this this breaking of bread in, in 42, it's a little different from what it means later on in 46. But they'd celebrated this idea of communion together. They celebrated the fact that they owe Jesus everything. I mean, isn't that what communion really is? It's a, it's a recognition. It's the celebration that we owe Jesus everything. Everything. We owe him everything. And they did it together. They celebrated this, this together. And they also broke bread in their homes. They hung out together. And then the last thing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Uh-oh. Prayer. That dreaded act of praying. It's the simplest, most difficult thing that Christians don't do. Prayer. You know, the old timers, people that have gone long before us in church worlds, they would say that you want, to, you want to test, you want to measure a church, you do it by how many people come out in the context of community and pray for each other. How is that time of community prayer? How is it? They recognize that, that the time the community gathers for prayer, that's, that's the power plants of a healthy church. 
That's the, that's the engine that drives the church. If you want to see warmth and love and, and, and evidence of life, what is the community time of prayer like? What is that time that, that, that all of the saints in that one place gather together to seek God and pray for each other, pray for the world, pray for their, their community? And if that's, if that's the test, then we as a church, we don't, we don't do so good. In fact, one time we had 10 people come to community prayer. We thought we were in the midst of a revival. And then the next week it went back to normal. And I say that in jest, and I also say that with kind of a, a, heavy, a heavy heart. Because there is power in prayer. It's like if, if we knew the power that was in prayer, we would do it much more. We would do it much more. And we wouldn't make excuses that it's too cold, I'm too tired, I'm, I just don't feel like it. I, I, don't, I don't like to pray out loud. Um, there's power. And I don't just mean just, just, um, just coming to a time of community prayer, but prayer. Uh, taking the word of God and meditating on it, contemplating it let, it, let it soak into, yes, and also making our requests known to him, coming before him, sitting before the throne of grace and allowing the groan of the spirit to pray for you. There's power in that prayer. So much so that I believe that the enemy will do everything that he can to keep the Christian from praying, to keep the Christian from seeking God, because he knows that a Christian who prays is dangerous to the darkness of this world. And so if he can keep the Christian from praying, or if he can keep the Christian from the Christian prayer life in this place of being anemic, then guess what? He has kept the church in a place of being spiritually anemic. And a church that does not pray is a church that does not have life. A church that does not pray becomes irrelevant. We are not irrelevant because we don't do cool things, because we're not doing that. We're not, we're, we, we, the church has become irrelevant in our culture because we have lost the desire of prayer and the gathering together to pray. Chapter 1 of Acts says that the, 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 the disciples and all their families came together and what? They were constantly in prayer. Constantly in prayer. Want the answer to what the evidence of what church is? Church is a gathering of people who will devote themselves to the scripture, who will devote themselves to each other, who will celebrate what God is doing among them and what Christ has done, who will do life together, and who will come together and pray. They will come together. I think there's one more thing I want to mention before we get out of here. And that's the last two verses, 46 and 47. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As I read those two verses, there's this sense in me of, you know, it uses words like, uh, you know, they met together. They broke bread. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. These are, these are, 
happy times. This, this is, there's something joyous and, and something harmonious about what's taking place in, in the lives of these people. They're gathering together because they love each other, but there's something in their hearts. There's joy, there's gladness, there's, there's favor. You know the best way to get people interested in church is to live that way. To live with, in the joy of the Lord. To live in this place of saying, you know what, I'm not going to fear what the world is, what's happening in the world. Because we know the living God. And we don't have to fear it. But yes, it can weigh heavy on us. And we can come together and pray for it. But we're not going to be afraid. We're going to live with a certain amount of joy and harmony and love and favor for all people. Why? Because we are being transformed inside and there's, there's something, and that, that is attractive to people. It's not just about the music. It's not about the cool building and the lack of insulation we have on the ceiling. It's, it's none of that. It's about the joy that we have. Are we a joyous group? Like when people, when people come and, and visit us or, or they're guests, are they overcome with intros and names because we're just like swarming around them? When's the last time a guest came in here and you just went, Woo! Glad to see you, brother. I know they'd probably leave, but they're going to leave because you're too happy. And maybe they think you drank the Kool-Aid. I don't know. But I'd much rather have people leave that way instead of nobody said a word to me. Nobody said anything to me. Is joy evidence in our gatherings? Is, is, is this favor evidence in our gathering? I'll tell you, if you don't live this in your everyday life, then it ain't going to happen here. This just goes beyond these walls. Are you welcoming to people? Do you hold the door? Do you wheel out the shopping cart? Do you say hi or is your head down all the time? You know, people are always talking about revival. It's really simple. Here it is. This is revival. When we, us group of Jesus followers, when we get back to these things, when we surrender ourselves to the prodding and the calling of the Holy Spirit to get back to these things, then the church will be relevant. Then the church will be able to share the good news. But we, we have to come before the Lord first. That we would devote ourselves to these things. And I know, I know, what Peggy spoke of this morning about um, something is coming. There's, there's things coming. I have felt that way for a few months now. In fact, uh, I, I see a spiritual director once a month, and I said that to him. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but something is on the horizon. And I don't think it's just for us. I think it's for the church. Something is on the horizon. And, and, and I'm not, you know, it, it's not, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't want to be all weird and, you know, the blood and moon and the crash comet. It's it just something is happening. But it has to happen in the hearts of the people first. Do we trust? Do we love? Do we walk in it? Sure. Mm-hmm. 
why he made coffee. He loves us. It's when we, the church, get back to this that the Lord will add to our numbers daily. Those, what's it say? Those who are being saved. Not those who are mad at their other church so they're coming here. Not those who have nothing but those who are being saved. Father, I want to thank you for the love that you have for us and for the, the odd flavor of this morning's service but yet the sweet aroma of the Spirit being present. Um, again, Lord, we just pray for uh, the weather that's happening today. May it just turn to rain, and may people, as they leave here, as they leave places of worship all over the state, that uh, you'd protect them and, and uh, just get them home safe. And Lord, we know, um, we know that you are our sustenance. May your spirit birth in us the simplicity of what you call us to. Let us get back there so that we can be the light on the hill. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.